0: Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 387. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we've got Kevin Rankstraw. Hey, Kevin. Hi. This week on the show, we'll be taking a look at Alex Winter's new documentary, Zappa, along with someone watching on the watch list and going over this week's new releases on VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. That would be very helpful. Uh, Just a couple housekeeping bits, really just one uh, this month's say by the 90s it's going to be recorded on monday and i hope to have it out shortly thereafter the holidays are going to get in the way a little bit but hopefully not hinder my editing schedule too much i hope everyone is remaining safe this thanksgiving maybe have a thanksgiving at home you know maybe a virtual thanksgiving use that zoom to meet with your family instead of traveling because it's going to be a rough one yeah I think we can get into our review here. We're talking about Zappa. I have a synopsis here, an in-depth look at the life and work of musician Frank Zappa. This is written and directed by Alex Winter, who, I mean, you probably know him from the Bill and Ted movies, but uh, he is also a really good uh, documentarian. He's done some technology related documentaries in the past he did trust machine the story of blockchain which take uh, takes a look at the the rise of cryptocurrency and he did uh, the Panama Papers which I didn't see but I I really do want to see that because the I think the Panama Papers is a very interesting subject so would I would like to catch his documentary on that he also did a documentary on Child actors called Showbiz Kids, and I I haven't seen that either, but I'd like to see that too. So anyway, mm-hmm. now Kevin, you're a huge Zappa head. You love the music of Frank Zappa. I remember when we were young. Oh, yeah, when we were young, you would uh, you'd be bumping bumping Zappa in the car on the way to school. It's always,
1: always picking up picking up uh, you know those, those Zappa albums at Borders.
0: Now I had uh, I had several so I had several family members who were really into Frank Zappa, so I, I was exposed to his music at a, at a fairly early age, and I I like I think I like like him and his principles and his creativity and, and really his genius more than the actual music itself. So we'll we'll start out with you, Kevin, since you're You're much more of a fan, and probably knew a whole lot more about him than me going into this. So, what were your initial impressions of this documentary?
1: My initial impressions are: first off, this is a very uh, well-made documentary. It had a lot of what I was hoping for, because, like you said, I am a big Zappa fan. I've read like autobi or not autobiographies biographies of Zappa, so I know a lot about his history, like the beginning days. Uh, like I know about him being arrested for quote unquote pornography and a lot of those tidbits and him being obsessed with that, uh, fairly obscure composer and that kind of catapulting him into music. So I knew a lot of that stuff. So I was a little bit trepidatious going into that because I'm kind of thinking like, what, uh, you know, what am I going to get that I already don't know? You know what I mean? And I was very surprised right off the bat that this is, like, he got access to the vaults, and it's just a plethora of archival footage,
2: mm-hmm. which,
1: is, which is just like, yes, okay. I don't have access to that, never did, and probably never would, except for this movie, so that's fantastic. That's pretty much the only way you could do, for me, a, a Zappa documentary and make it be worthwhile.
0: Yeah, so he has uh, so so Frank Zappa kept a giant archive of pretty much everything that he ever did. Like so, all of the music. So like he had, I mean, the dude was so prolific. I mean, he was just creating and creating and creating, like every day, just churning out song after song, album after album. And he has this enormous archive, and he like recorded all of the the, the concerts that he did and everything too. So you have this like. Enormous archive of stuff, and a lot of it has gone unreleased, and a lot of it's never, never been seen before. So there's a lot of really great footage in this movie.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, he's like he recorded and documented pretty much everything. I mean, it's wild to think that he has, you know, recordings of him and Eric Clapton, just because Clapton, yeah, decided to show up at his house one day. And like, like, who knows what the hell's in that vault?
0: Yeah. And like Jimi Hendrix and all, it's just so much, so much stuff in there. And it's also yeah. crazy, It's crazy how many like posthumous releases have come out since, since he passed away. Like, was it like, oh, yeah. I was like mo- more albums have been released since he died than when he was alive, I think, or close to yeah, it.
2: It's,
1: yeah. It's, it's either more or equal. Which, you know, when you see the vault, it makes sense. Because you're just like, holy shit, there's probably like 200 fucking albums in there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the movie, they say, I can't remember exactly, but I think all in all, there's been like maybe close to 120 albums released. So it's it's just a massive discography.
1: Yeah, and like, I think like 60 some of those, he released while he was alive. Which, again, like, he he was a very prolific guy from the 60s until his death. Like, he's a ton of stuff. And it's extremely varied, which is, I think, is kind of the the difficult thing for anyone trying to categorize themselves as, as a Zappa fan or, like, being into his music because his music is so widely varied.
0: Later on in his career, he pretty much just becomes a composer and a lot of his music later on was more orchestral and in sound like this sort of experimental orchestral stuff. And I yeah. can and understand why people might not gravitate towards that compared to like, you know, Valley girl or whatever.
1: Yeah. Cause he's got the, he's got the funny songs. Uh, he's got even like his very, very early albums. You have, it can be like a regular rhythm and blues song. It could be a regular like, um, like doo-wop song. And then the next song could be this like freak out free jazz type thing. And then like, even one album can be like 17 different styles of music.
2: Yeah.
0: So
1: it's really hard to be like, I'm in the mood for this
0: specifically. Yeah. You go to his, uh, Spotify page and hit random and you're, you are going to get a lot of random. (laughs) It's just going to be all over the place. You're going to get hit with that. Like psychedelic stuff from the the '60s, where he was, you know, sort of lumped into the the, these psychedelic bands, even though he hated drugs. He was very anti-drug, which I don't know if I ever really knew that about him. That he was pretty straight edge.
1: Yeah, which is like it's weird, but it also kind of makes sense. Yeah, because it's just like, of course, of course, he would be.
0: I just think it's it's so impressive when you. obviously in this documentary you hear tons and tons of his, his songs and and the various projects that he was a part of. So you get a really good idea of his musical talent, his abilities, and just the insane amount of creativity he brought to the medium. And like the, uh, the fact that he was completely self-taught, like he just went to the library, started reading books and just learned just on, on his own completely learned how to do it all. So, and even like, even in the nineties when he was like using that crazy, that computer, (laughs) that computer thing, that thing looked really uh, overwhelming.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, and he just,
1: he just taught himself it. And it's not just like, Oh, he taught himself how to play the guitar, which is, you know, there's been plenty of guitar players that have done that. Hendrix has done it, you know, where it's like, oh man, that's that's pretty impressive. But the fact that it's not only just him with the guitar, it's the drums, it's writing and composing orchestral music that he that he was doing in high school, like the the high school orchestra was playing, and you know, composing films and just all the stuff that he was doing. And then, you know, essentially creating, not necessarily creating, but kind of expanding upon like musical theater where like a live show was actually like a live show where it was more than just those guys playing a song. It was a whole thing with props and all this
0: stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was definitely like a performance. Like he had dancers. Yeah. Like it, it was like musical theater for sure. One one thing that I that I liked about the documentary it was uh and you touched on this already where you know they talk about when he was arrested when he was li- he was basically living at a at a recording studio and he was essentially tricked into making this uh tape that was supposed to be like people having sex on the on the tape but it, it wasn't that but he got. He ended up getting arrested and going to jail for like six months because of it, and um, the the fact that they they go over that, and then they go over uh, a lot of the other aspects of his career, the composer that he sort of became enamored with, and how it's very it's very clear that you know these were the events in his life that set in motion what where his career was going to go and where his life was going to go, and I, I thought that that Winter did a really good job of putting those little breadcrumbs in there so that you can sort of see you can very clearly see the trajectory of his his life yeah. and career. And I thought he did a really good job with the structure and just organizing everything in the documentary in a very it's a stri- it's a fairly straightforward way, but he does it in it's not like a straight completely straight timeline necessarily either. He throws in a lot of, no, it, of entertaining tidbits
1: yeah and i think the one of the or a couple of things that i really appreciated and enjoyed is talking to a lot of the the former band members the people that played with them kind of giving you a more well-rounded you know what this guy was about because i didn't really know so much of him being kind of this workaholic i mean i, I figured he was just considering the output but the way in which he dealt with people too, where he seemed like he was a huge asshole, yeah, to be honest, like he was just a really cold person, and just he demanded, and they even got into that like towards towards the end where and that's the reason he ended up buying this this computerized uh music machine is because he just he he didn't think musicians could play the stuff that he was writing, which is really. Really the fucking self centered.
0: Like, give me a break, dude. That was kind of a through line through a lot of his decisions. Like when he started doing the composing stuff and how like he would frequently say, like, I, I don't think that any that any of this work that I'm doing here is gonna see the light of day because I don't think any of these musicians can do it. Like he he was yeah. in interviews saying as much, like how he would buy, you know, rehearsal time, and a lot of these like big orchestras and stuff would allow him like two days of rehearsal time, and it wasn't enough to achieve the level of perfection that he wanted with these very complex yeah. pieces.
1: And I think that that was interesting as well because so much of it was like him being very cold, very demanding, and like again, he was struggling with that where he he didn't think people could do it and God, I can't, you know, put my trust into other people and all this stuff. And it was just like, well, maybe if you like weren't such an asshole, like maybe, yeah, maybe if you were more, you know, if you were more open with people, you know, more tender with people, you know, took a different approach, maybe the outcome would be different.
0: You he, know, he definitely, re- he re- in a lot of ways he reminded me of Steve jobs. Cause I think that Steve jobs it is notably this Very a very similar way, where they're this like sort of creative genius, and they have a very they have very particular expectations, and you better meet those expectations, or you're gonna hit the pavement. And I think that there's probably a lot of other you know sort of prodigious people that you could say the same thing about. Yeah,
1: and the thing that's difficult is those people. And, you know, Zappa in particular, like Zappa created a ton of stuff. And a lot of it's great. You know, like he made so much, stuff. he's a very prolific guy, a lot of different ideas. He's, he, you know, really innovative in terms of recording and editing and sound manipulation, like all these things that people can point to and be like, this guy, you know, he was different and he, he created so much. And it's like, it's it's tough to go up against that and be like yeah but what could if he had done like what more could he have made if he was a more collaborative person you know what i mean if he was more open Mm -hmm. with the people that he's working with it could be something even more spectacular than what we got in the short time that he was here
0: yeah because i mean they they say in the movie like he did not respond to like suggestions or anything like that or new ideas like this was completely his show what he said is that was it like that was the final yeah that was it uh so yeah it seems it seems like he was probably a really tough dude to be close to i mean even like even his wife i mean she's interviewed in this movie and that she just had to kind of go along with it. I'm actually surprised she, that they remained together until his death.
2: Yeah. One of the things that I thought was yeah. a
0: little strange was the fact that, you know, they talk about his kids, but they're not in the movie at all, which I thought was no strange because, because at first I'm like, Oh, maybe they thought they didn't really have anything to say, but, but I would really like to know more about what his home life yeah. was like yeah. like when he was home what, what was that like?
1: Well, I think they did touch on that a little bit is that it wasn't even when he was home, he wasn't there.
0: Right. He was in his little you know, like home is, studio. Yeah. Which
1: is, which I didn't realize with the, the Valley girl the tidbit. Yeah. You know, his his biggest, his biggest single. His only hit.
0: He was a one hit yeah, wonder. His
1: only hit with his daughter. Is, it comes out from her sliding a note <laughs> under the recording studio door saying like, hello, let me introduce myself. I'm your daughter. I never see you. And, and what what does he do immediately? He's like, oh, okay, well, let's write a song together. It's like, you <laughs> can't do something else besides that?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's kind like, yeah. of... It's kind of sad. I mean, it's sad. so yeah, yeah, I would like to have seen more interviews, at least some interviews with the kids, which I just, I'm not even sure why because cause at first I was like, well, maybe they just didn't want to do it, but Ahmed Zappa was a producer on this movie and th- their yeah. mom is in it. So I-, I just, I'm not really sure why they wouldn't be a part of it.
1: Now, one other thing that I do, I really appreciated with this, uh, cause I've seen a number of not really Zappa documentaries, but you know, like little, little tidbits of Zappa. And one of the things that always seems to take up so much of the discussion in and around zappa is the, the him testifying the senate to congress
0: yeah, yeah the, senate right, the senate hearings
1: you know the senate hearings like that always takes up so much and i was really happy that although alex Wonder does touch upon it here he does bring it up and there is some things it it doesn't dominate the documentary right i
0: yeah i was i was afraid that it was gonna be more involved with that aspect because, you know, as I said, I don't know a whole lot about him, but I do know that. I mean, that, that is like yeah. the, the one thing I know a lot about because of, you know, the fallout from that with the parental advisory stuff. And I knew that he was a big sort of outspoken player in it during, during those, those hearings and stuff. And he was one of the only ones. I mean, nobody else really got involved in it. One one of the things that I didn't actually know was that they weren't going after him to begin with. Like he yeah. he, he saw it as his duty to, to stand up for uh, free speech. And But they weren't... At, I, I was always kind of under the impression that because he was so involved and he was sort of the, the spokesperson for the music industry that I, I thought that they were going after him. And I learned from this documentary that they weren't. But he... He looked at it as like it was his duty to protect the First Amendment, and I think that yeah, I think that that Alex Winter does. He touches on it enough to give us the the information, but again, what this leads to is him being involved in the Velvet Revolution and becoming like, <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah, which is, which all, is I didn't know that either. <laughs> like how he becomes like an envoy for. Uh, the United States and and the, the Czech... Was it Czechoslovakia? Was okay. it the Czech Republic? Yeah. I'm so bad which with is, history.
1: Which, which is so funny to me because the number of times that I've seen this discussed, and again, that was where I was kind of worried about when it did come up. I was... Essentially, when it came up in the movie, once we got to that part of the timeline... I was thinking like okay well I'm done with this movie because I'm so sick and tired of hearing about you know the senate hearings and him testifying and all this stuff you know I know all that stuff but then you get the tidbits of the Czech Republic and him being like the cultural like ambassador or whatever <laughs> and the fact that the uh what was it senator baker essentially wanted Czechoslovakia and was like, okay, if you want any help from America, yeah, you, you got you you to get this guy out of here. And I'm like, that's like the biggest thing from this whole thing. And uh, like, I didn't know that like the other, you know, 27 times that I've seen footage or, you know, little documentaries or whatnot about these Senate hearings. Like, why was that never brought up? Like, how did I not know about the Czech Republic stuff?
0: Yeah. I mean, that was a much bigger deal because you, you could infer that he had a hand in, in that revolution and helped bring democracy to them. Well, and I, I love the fact that he, he didn't really know <laughs> until he got there. <laughs> he, he didn't know Like he, he was like wildly famous there, like way more famous there than probably in the United States.
1: Yeah. Like they 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 were obsessed with him. Like he was essentially like their like their like symbol of mm-hmm. freedom. Like that that they were fighting for Frank Zappa music. And he yeah, had no idea, you know, he's he's in another country just composing and you know, ignoring his kids <laughs> and whatnot. <laughs> it's like this whole country that's trying to get democracy is obsessed with you. And you don't know which is just wild to me.
0: Yeah, overall, I think it was a really good, well-made documentary. I liked the the animated, the claymation stuff in it as well.
1: Yeah, I kind of forgot about all the claymation stuff that he did.
0: One thing, and one, just this, this is a like completely side note thing. I, I didn't know that at one point he had uh, formed a band with the Turtles, and... Oh, yeah. The one. You remember that? I had
1: that CD. We would play that shit all the
0: time. I I don't think I knew. I I just don't think I knew that it was the Turtles. Like, I know the songs, but I just don't think that I realized that it was the the guys from the Turtles. And the one dude from the Turtles, Uh, every time that they would show the one guy from the Turtles, I would think that he doesn't look like he belongs in that time period. Like, he looks like he is a modern guy. Like,
1: I, I just. I love that whole. For some reason that whole era of Zappa is just so intriguing to me. Just the whole Turtles element. First those two guys don't look like they should ever be in the band the Turtles <laughs> yeah. or have written the songs that they've written. And then, then to come out of that band and immediately join up with Frank Zappa and start another, you know, mothers of invention. that's just so weird. There's
2: such two
1: weird guys.
0: Yeah. Didn't make any sense
1: to me.
0: <laughs> I wish he did more collaborations with other artists and stuff throughout his career. Cause I think he could have made some really cool, unique things if he if he did more collabs.
1: Yeah, I would say, that was one of the things that I thought was kind of surprising because he he with this documentary is like he did a ton of stuff with Captain Beefheart. And mm-hmm. the fact that him and Captain Beefheart were, you know, teenage friends and like that was kind of like i touched upon like in the early days like hey you know these guys became friends together and they got kind of obsessed with music and then that was kind of it wasn't really discussed anymore
0: which that was like a big thing yeah they did they do mention it like, like working together yeah they mentioned it like one other time when they were talking about him like bringing back a lot of the people that he used to work with so like there was a there was a situation that happened where it was like it's like a bad tour or something where he ended up losing a whole bunch of money because of the tour and like he he paid all the artists but then he sort of disbanded the band and kind of went out on his own but then like later on he started pulling back in a lot of the uh, musicians that he used including Captain Beefheart.
1: Yeah. They they did a ton of stuff together.
0: Well, there you have it. Uh, that is Zappa. That is going to be available on VOD platforms on the 27th, so Friday. So definitely check it out. I mean, I like pretty much. I'm a, I'm a rock dot guy, so this was this was definitely right up my alley, and it and, was, I, and it was really well made too. That that's I mean that's the thing that needs to be pointed it's, out.
1: It's, it's it's extremely comprehensive. Like the, he pretty much covers.
0: Yeah. Like everything. Pretty, pretty much everything.
1: everything.
0: Yeah, yeah, pretty much everything it is the definitive so, yeah. documentary on Zappa. So, yeah. Uh, all right, what are you going to give Zappa out of ten? I give Zappa an eight. Nice. Uh, I'm I'm sitting right there with you. I'm into like seven and a half, eight for me. Uh, there, there's very few like criticisms I have with this. Um, it's fairly straightforward, comprehensive documentary. It looks really good. Uh, he got a lot of People involved, and just to reiterate, like you had already mentioned this about how he talks to a lot of the former band members. But one one of the things that I appreciated that is that he he highlighted the band members. He didn't just like kind of show them, but he like had title cards for them and he named them and he showed them like he showed us what they did, so they weren't just these like kind of background players. Where he he actually spent time when he
1: would show like the, the archival footage, he would focus in on them yeah so you could get a sense of them at that time back in you know sixty nine or sixty eight whatever yeah. the time period was he
0: he made sure that that these people were recognized for the work that they did and that they weren't just background players i mean I think that that's something that should should be recognized with with Zappa's music is that yes, he was like a creative genius and he wrote all this music and stuff like that, but you know he had a he had to have a great band to back him up and I think that this documentary does a really good job of acknowledging that. So major props to Alex Winner. I think that he is doing really, really great work with his uh, directorial efforts. So excited to see what he's got cooking up next. All right, moving on. Uh, let's talk about some we been watching. Kevin, I think it's your turn this week.
1: Ooh, watch out. Uh, I watched The Plumber from 1979. This is a pure Weir movie, uh, Australian kind of like a little somewhat of a like containment thriller type thing. Um, That doesn't really accurately describe it, but it's a short film, 77 minutes. Uh, It's really compact, economical. And to me, it was just really great. And it's really simple. There, this young couple uh, live on campus. You know, they have this little apartment, this little flat that they're living in. He's a teacher, researcher all that stuff. So he's always gone. He goes for the day and he's doing his stuff and he's doing his research and people are coming from Switzerland. He's all, you know, he's all wrapped up in his work that he's doing. You know, there's an opportunity here for him. And his girlfriend or his wife is staying at home and working on her own like research project. And this guy just shows up one day and he's, you know, he's like, I'm the plumber. I'm here to check your pipes. Got to check all the pipes. Right, thing is, no one called a the plumber. They don't know what the hell's going on, but they're like, "Fine, whatever. Come in and check out the pipes." Well, this guy just stays. Like he he just stays, and he's kind of weird. It's kind of creepy. Uh, you know, he—he seems a little off, right? You know, so and that—that it, like that's the thing. He just keeps showing up every day because he's like, "Oh, I have to fix all your pipes." And you're never quite sure where the movie's going to go because of course she's trepidatious as the whole thing. She, she, she doesn't like it. Of course, her husband's like, Oh, well, you know, whatever he is, the plumber, just let him do his thing. Of course, because he's not there, he doesn't know. He doesn't care. And this guy is, you know, like the worst plumber that's ever existed. And he just like completely destroys their entire bathroom. Just like it rips all the walls out, rips all the, and, like, they can't get rid of this guy. And, uh, but it, it goes through some interesting places, namely um, kind of, like, class expectations and, you know, how people see each other. Because, of course, the plumber sees the wife in a certain light. And, of course, the wife sees the plumber in a certain light. And there's kind of a power play between the two of them. And the the whole role of, like, the antagonist of this movie is kind of, it's kind of blurred and it kind of switches from scene to scene as you know, who's, you know, who's being awful to whom. And it's, it's, I was quite surprised by this movie.
2: Hmm.
1: I was it's very enjoyable. It's
0: okay. We'll have to check and, that and this
1: out. is on Criterion.
0: Nice. That's the plumber from Peter Weir. I saw another documentary called leap of faith, William Friedkin on the exorcist. This is available on shutter came out this week. Now, this is directed by Alexander O'Philippe, who he previously did the the Memory Origins of Alien movie that came out last year, and he did that 78-52 movie, which took a look at the shower scene in Psycho. So this is a guy who... And he also did Doc of the Dead. So he's a, a documentary filmmaker who definitely specializes in very specific subjects in cinema. So... This one, this is a very simple, straightforward documentary. It's literally just William freaking in a room talking about The Exorcist, and that's that's exactly what that's what it is. It's just him. It's almost like a, a visual audio commentary in a lot of ways. He doesn't like go. Yeah. He doesn't go through the whole movie like the timeline, like scene by scene, from start to finish or anything. He just sort of. Really just they, they point a camera at him, and they're like, Hey, uh, talk about the Exorcist and then William Friedkin just he just goes on for like an hour and a half. He just he just goes on and on and on. Like I I mean I'm sure that there's a lot of like editing involved, but the way that it plays out, it's just like just this crazy stream of consciousness where Friedkin just talks about the Exorcist nonstop. It's it's pretty it's good there's a lot there's a lot of like fun little tidbits i mean i wasn't i, I love the exorcist but i wasn't the type of person who watched you know documentaries on it or video essays or anything like that i i never i don't know if there is an audio commentary but I, if there is i never listened to it so i don't i didn't know like a ton about the making of it so there was a lot of fun little like anecdotes and things in here that that freaking talks about that i didn't know like for instance he would um randomly shoot a gun he had a gun on set and anytime he wanted to get a reaction shot out of somebody he would just randomly shoot the gun while they were shooting the scene to get these like startled reaction shots from people which i'm not sure how that would uh really track today don't don't know if that would be allowed today but uh yeah he definitely I would he, hope not. Yeah, he definitely did it back then. Stacy Keach was originally gonna be playing the uh, the lead role, which I thought was kind of um, interesting. He was he was gonna be the priest, Oh, okay, yeah. instead of Jason Miller. So, thought that was kind of an interesting little tidbit. Uh, the other thing is, like you know, a lot of people talk about. The different the, the symbolism, The Exorcist, and and the various metaphors that it may contain, and like right off the bat, Freakin' was just like, ah, I didn't. He's like, you know, I've seen people talk about the different meanings behind some of my some of my scenes in The Exorcist. He's like, ah, I didn't intend for any of that. He's like, I, did. I there, yeah. He's yeah. like, he's like, there was no symbolism, there was no metaphor in The Exorcist. He's like, I just made a movie, and if it felt right, Maybe I did that- it
1: that's what I love about art in so many different ways is there's so many people that, you know, do that. They, they try and, you know, track out all these, you know, metaphors and all the symbolism. And majority of the time when someone's asked about it, you know, the person that makes it, they're just like, yeah, I didn't intend for any of that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was interesting kind of watching this movie and the Zappa documentary very in very close proximity, because you can see a lot of the same sort of, Yeah, well, I was
1: just thinking of that too because they kept asking Zappa about, you know, like him hiring these orchestras and stuff, and he just put it out very plainly. He's like, "I want to record the music that I make so that I can hear it, so I can take it home and I can listen to it. If other people want to listen to it, cool, I'll let them, and that's it. Like, it wasn't any more complicated than that.
0: And and with Freakin', like. I mean, I, I think the dude is a, a, a genius at his profession. I think that he is one of the greats, but at the same time, you're like, eh, is he just kind of bullshitting a lot of the stuff that he's saying? Like, you never really know, but uh, a lot of the stuff that he did in this movie, just, he was just like, yeah, it felt right. Like it just seemed like the right thing to do it. I got a feeling like this is what I need to do. And you know, it, it just, he got lucky and it all turned out just, just peachy for him. But I mean the fact that he like like the music was a big thing where he talks about finding the right music and stuff and they hired they, they were hiring the composers and it like it never worked and then finally he like just happened to hear like the tubular bell song it was like oh there it is that's the one and then like he, he, was, he was watching some old movies and he was watching and they were trying to figure out how they could handle the the possessed voice so Reagan's after she gets possessed, like how, what were they going to do with her voice? Because they wanted to change it, but they didn't want to give it like a man's voice. They wanted it to still sound somewhat like she was maybe in there, but they couldn't use her voice because when they, when they shot the movie, they did actually have Linda Blair speaking all the lines, but, and and this is kind of the cool thing. Like they show the scenes without the the voice. So it's just like Linda Blair saying the stuff and it's just, it, it feels so different. Uh, when you just hear this, like little girl saying saying these things, so he was watching like these old movies, and he was watching a a movie starring Mercedes McCambridge, and he was just like, "That's the perfect voice." And so he tracked her down, and she was retired by this point, and she agreed to do it, but she was like, "Okay, just so you know, like I'm an alcoholic, uh, I got a lot of problems, uh, so I, I'm gonna have a lot of very strict." Stipulations in order for me to do this. And she required that during the recording sessions, they tie her to a chair. They have to give her booze and cigarettes and raw eggs for her to consume before they do the recording so that she could get her voice right. And then she required that they have two priests on hand so that every time they would do a recording session, she would then go and like pray and stuff with the priests <laughs> And he did it. Freakin was like, yeah, sure. Let's let's go <laughs> for it. And uh and then that, that's the voice that you get. It's actually Mercedes McCambridge. So hmm. lots of really fun little things in this movie. If you're a huge fan of The Exorcist, I think that there's a lot to be learned here. And I think that anytime you have the camera in front of um William Freakin, he's he's like one of these directors that can just talk forever and he has a lot of really interesting stories. So he's kind of an endearing guy to begin with. And, you know, he's getting older. He's like in his eighties now. So I think that this is a good movie just to be made in general as sort of a, a hit just to have, you know, for, for history's sake. So I, mm-hmm. I do, I do give it a light recommendation. Uh If you don't love the exorcist, then I don't know why you would ever watch this. Cause
2: yeah, it, yeah, it,
0: like I said, it's a, just a very stripped down documentary that pretty much just cont- it does contain like a lot of behind the scenes footage and stuff like that, but it's just William Friedkin talking. So again, it's on shutter. Um, so if you have shutter, I could give it a look. Sure.
2: All right.
1: All uh, right. Another one from the criterion channel. Uh, that's Michael Lee's high hopes from 1988. This is that early. Mike Lee movie, which it is pretty much exactly what I want, you know, when I sit down and think to myself, I want to watch a Mike Lee movie. Uh, this is it. It One, it has Ruth Sheen, so you're already pretty much there. And it's a slice of life, little dramedy, you know, and it's it's phenomenal. I absolutely adored it it is it's funny at times uh it's just a really comforting watch it's you know really enjoyable people up on this on the screen except for a couple characters uh, cuz this is all based around uh Shirley and Cyril they're uh this working class couple and they have a good, they have a nice relationships uh Cyril is like a he's a socialist and he's kind of He's a little bit cold and you know, he's he, he's kind of down and dumps in terms of how everything's going. He's kind of a pessimistic guy. Shirley's trying to keep, you know, everything going. Uh she wants to have a baby, he doesn't. His mother's getting old and starting to, you know, starting to show the signs of Alzheimer, and he's not entirely sure what to do and Shirley's the one that kinda of takes care of things. But Cyril's uh sister Valerie in this movie is perhaps one of the most insufferable characters mm. I've had the displeasure of watching. Luckily, she doesn't re- she doesn't ruin the movie, but she has a laugh in the way in which she speaks too that are just the most grating and irritating sounds that I've heard in quite some time. But outside of that, uh it's it's pretty much a perfect movie. Nice. A little bit of comedy in there, you know, just like the, the the perfect little touches here and there, you know, perfectly timed. And then you know, it still has these like really heartbreaking moments that are happening, like couched within these kind of like silly moments
0: as well. So just so like Mike Lee Mike Lee movie, basically is what you're saying.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: But it's you know it's it's an early one, and you can tell that it's a little rough. It's not as polished as you know his later his later offerings. But because of that, it's it's almost a little bit more endearing, in a way.
0: Hmm. Okay, I have to give this a look at some point. I've been meaning to dive into some more Mike Lee stuff, but I just haven't been in the right mindset.
2: That's
1: that's the thing. I thought, let me assure you whether you're in the right mindset or not, just do it because it's going to put you in the right one, which is the thing that I always learn when I watch a Mike Lee movie. Like it's always something that I didn't know I needed at the time, but it was exactly what I needed. And I always come away with the realization of like, why am I not watching more like Mike Lee movies? Why am I not doing this more often?
0: (laughs) All right. Uh, And again, that is high hopes and it's available on the criterion channel. I saw The Dark and the Wicked. This is directed by Brian Bertino. This is another one of these kind of modern folk horror, you know, Ari Aster style movies that I think probably Hereditary had something to do with the uh, the proliferation of these this style of horror movie. I don't know if, you know, obviously Hereditary wasn't the first one, but I think that it definitely had enough success that it started a trend. And, um, mm-hmm. this one is about a, a, a woman and her brother who go to go back home to visit her, per, their parents who, uh, the, the, their father is dying. He's in sort of a hospice care situation and he's slowly dying. Uh, but something seems off about their mom and, she does something pretty horrific and then ends up dying as well. And (laughs) they start to realize like there's something very dark in this house. And it's, it's kind of, um, it, it, it kind of brings an interesting twist on it where it's, it's sort of a haunted house movie, but at the same time, like they can't leave the house because it turns out like their dad is, is too sick to move. So they can't, take him to a hospital like they have doctors come come over and they try to get him to a hospital but the doctor's like he can't be moved he's not gonna he wouldn't live for the the the, the, like to take him to the hospital so none of the doctors would sign off on moving him so they pretty much had to stay in the house and even though they knew like by this point they'd started seeing really horrific Things and what happened with their mom, and like they knew that something very awful was was happening here, but they just couldn't they couldn't leave you know him they couldn't leave him, so things escalate and and get very very dire it's a very bleak dark 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 movie uh it's it's pretty scary uh I saw this like a week or two after we had talked about uh his house, and I said that that was the the scariest movie i'd seen this year and this this mm-hmm. one this one's right up there. I mean, it there's some really horrific imagery in this that is very disturbing. It's it's a fairly well-made movie. Where it goes, it's not it doesn't feel entirely new. I wasn't particularly impressed with the final act and how it ended, but there's there's still something here and I would give it a light recommendation. This is on VOD right now and it's going to be on Shutter I think in December it is a shutter original, but it was one of these deals that like some, some of the shutter stuff they'll like release on VOD first. And then like the bigger ones, they seem to release in like theaters and VOD first. And then they like, like they did that with uh color out of space, I believe. Mm, yeah. Or maybe with Mandy. Mandy might be a shutter one too. I'm not sure, but um yeah, anyway, it's on VOD so you can check it out. And uh yeah, again, light recommend. It's but just, just know going into it that it is uh very, very bleak. It's not a it's not a very fun horror movie.
1: Gotcha. Uh the only other one I'll talk about here is Ham on Rye. This is an uh, American indie uh from Tyler Termina. And this this is one that starts off rather well, right? it's kind of this bizarre idea. It's tough to describe, Uh, but essentially it's just like the, the first half of this movie just kind of shuffles between these, like, it's almost like seven or eight groups of like teenagers and they're getting, they're getting all dressed up and they're kind of making this pilgrimage to what turns out to be this like deli. They're all going to this deli and they're all talking about like what, 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 going to be happening that day and this and that. And, but it's all kind of, it's all spoken about in a very like cryptic way that you're not entirely sure what's going on here. You know, what are they, what are they going to, what is the purpose of this? Why are they all dressed up what's happening exactly? But you, you do get the sense from their, their parents that are kind of like shuffling them off is that this is really, really important. This is a huge day for them. And they can't fuck it up. So the first half of this movie for me worked really great because there's this nice build up. You're you're switching between all these characters. It's got some wonderful visuals to it and just like the pace of it overall is just rather enjoyable. And, you know, there's the mystery aspect of, you know, what the hell's gonna happen? This this is a peculiar movie. So you're just it could be anything, right? So they get they get there. It's this bizarre kind of, like, rite of passage that uh, they're kind of, like, coupled up, and then they're, they're off. They get to leave. They get to leave this small town. And essentially, that's what this movie becomes, because the second half of the movie focuses on the kids that didn't get coupled up with anyone. No one was really interested in them, so they got left behind, and now they're, you know, they're, like, permanent locals in this small shitty town, you know, that happens, you know, every year across the country, you have these little towns where, you know, people graduate and they don't make it out and they just stay here for the rest of their lives. So it kind of like, you know, that's what it's kind of commenting on, right. Which is, it's an interesting concept. I I like the ideas behind it, but it doesn't, make up for the fact that the second half of this movie is just like people in this small town doing nothing just wandering around aimlessly just not really doing anything and i'm sorry but it's just it's extremely boring to watch the second half of this movie i mm. just like i wasn't into it at all like it just all, all the the wind came out of the sails you know where it's just like okay i get it I, all right do we have to keep going can't we wrap this up?
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate.
1: So, it's that. I. It's one of those things that I. I don't like vehemently say that I'm against like proposing it. You know, like hey, you should go out and watch this. I think it, this is one of those things where it could go. It could go anywhere for you. So if that sounded interesting to you, definitely check it out. You might be surprised, or you might come away with it like me, where it's like, okay, that was. I like the ideas there, and I like parts of this movie but overall it was just a bit too too mundane if you will
0: Okay, that's ham on rye Uh, I know that factory 25 put this out how did you see this
1: yes if you go to factory 25's website they you know they're like virtual cinema type thing I think there's like a page on their website or whatever and you can do your you know get a ticket for a theater or whatever
0: Uh, the last one that I'll mention is called blood vessel this is Directed by Justin Dix, this is also on Shutter. Uh, it is a it takes place n- near the end of World War II and you have uh, the survivors of this hospital ship. They're on a lifeboat. They're they're running out of rations. They're they have no water. They're about to die. And then they see this German, this Nazi ship in the distance, and they're like, "Well, you know what?" I mean, this sucks, but gotta gotta get on there. I mean, it's better to better to get shot by a Nazi than slowly die of starvation. So they they board the ship and they realize that there's like nobody on board. It seems to be deserted. So they start exploring. Oh, boy. They start exploring around and they start to find some dead bodies that are like pretty hideously devoured. Um, like there's this really weird like vein thing that's that's happening where there's like veins all like external veins all over them they're like spreading up the walls and stuff it's really creepy looking as they explore they, they discover that there's some, some kind of uh, occult things happening here and they, they find out that there's, uh, there's, there's some vampires there's a family of vampires on board this ship mm-hmm. and they of course they, they, uh, they wake up the vampires and then they gotta fight the vampires and you know it, it's okay like there there were it's fairly poorly made I like the some of the some of the lighting aspects are decent uh the setting itself looks pretty good like i don't know if they shot this like on an actual ship but um it looks that that looks pretty good the acting is pretty bad the writing is pretty bad you have this like cast of characters who are supposed to be this sort of even spread of you know world war II archetypes so you have like a russian sniper you have this british intelligence guy you have a, a british uh medic and you have an american uh like gi type you know grizzled gi type and then you have like a cook and he's like from he's, like from brooklyn he's like this brooklyn this sassy no, brooklyn yeah. cook so you have like these archetypes and you know it's just a little it's a little bit too on the nose with that there is some fun to be had here uh, i i actually didn't really like so the creature design looks it looks good i uh, but i just didn't particularly like it like the vampires look like just giant bats and i didn't i just didn't really like the the design of them so mm-hmm. overall i thought eh not great um Com- comparing it to other like World War 2 horror movies which I generally like I really liked that one I, I already forgot the name of it came out a couple years ago um Overlord yeah Overlord I liked oh, that Yeah. that one was pretty good I enjoyed that and then um actually a movie that I rewatched f- during Halloween was uh Frankenstein's Army which is a uh, it's it's criminally underrated it's it's a found footage horror movie that takes place in World War II and mm-hmm. Frankenstein yeah. is creating Nazi super soldiers and they're all like these crazy like mutated creatures. What a fun movie that was. <laughs> nobody nobody talks about that movie and I just I thought it was like... It's like when you watch that movie it feels like you're going through a haunted house. That's what it feels like to me. Gotcha. Really fun. Anyway, this was like not... Really on on that same level. (laughs) So yeah, I can't really recommend Blood Vessel, but it is, if you have Shudder, it is on there. So you can just check it out if you have a Shudder subscription. Not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be an absolute train wreck, but it it was just... Yeah. It
1: almost would have been perhaps more enjoyable if it was, It was more entertaining.
0: All right, let's take a look at what we have coming out on VOD this week. On the twenty fourth, we have Fat Man. This is the one with Mel Gibson and Walton Goggins, where Mel Gibson plays Santa Claus. It's an mm-hmm. action. It's an action movie. It says of it Santa Claus is forced into a partnership with the U.S. military.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Making matters worse, he gets locked into a deadly battle of wits against a highly skilled assassin hired by a precocious twelve-year-old. After receiving a lump of coal in his stocking. Mm-hmm. Tis the season for Fat Man to get even. In the action comedy that keeps on giving. Good God. And the, the... Yeah. This is a Saban Films release. If you couldn't tell. You should start to see a pattern with these Saban Films. Also on the 24th we have The Walrus and the Whistleblower. This is a documentary. About a guy who... Uh, became known as the walrus whisperer oh yeah yeah trying to save this uh walrus from uh like marine land or one of those like you know yeah it is marine land actually i was right got one night in san diego that's a comedy is there a tagline nope we got saul and ruby's holocaust survivor band it's a documentary i think the title says it all we have Getting to Know You. That's a comedy from the looks of it. rom com maybe. Buddy Games. This is another Saban films starring Josh DeMille, Dax Shepard, and Olivia Munn. And the guy, and the guy from uh, Psych is in there. And then the one guy from uh, Entourage. So it's a raunchy comedy. Oh, yeah. Got a bunch of best friends who do these like dangerous games with each other every year or something. Looks hilarious. Oh, man. Looks like it's just chock full of raunchy fun. On the 26th, we have Vinyl Generation. This is a documentary about Czechoslovakia and the alternative culture that uh, sprung up there. Which, right. which actually, you know, feeds in a bit to, uh, yeah, our movie. Yeah, It's kind of interesting. Who knew? Who knew? Yeah. Who knew? Connections. On the twenty seventh, that's Friday, right? Yep. We have uh, "Kill It and It Will Leave This Town." This is a virtual theatrical release. Polish surrealist animation. Seems like something you. Be really into. Actually, we we talked about this offline a bit.
2: Yes, yeah.
0: looks pretty interesting. Uh, and then finally, we have Princess of the Row. This is also on the twenty seventh okay. on Blu-ray this week. We have Mad Max coming out in four K. That's the nineteen seventy nine original. We have The Beastmaster from nineteen eighty two coming out in four K. Wonder Boys from two thousand. Train to Busan presents Peninsula. We got He Came From The Swamp, the William Greffy Collection. This is a box set that includes oh, uh, six movies, including Sting of Death, Death Curse of Tartu, The Hooked Generation, The Psychedelic Priest, The Naked Zoo, and Mako, Jaws of Death, and Whiskey Mountain.
1: Oh, yeah, Whiskey Mountain.
0: Big box set there for you to enjoy. We got. Libeled lady from 1936. We got the pirate from 1948. We're no angels from 1955. Deadly games from 1989. What is this? Is this the? Uh, yeah, this is the Dial Code. Was it called Dial Code Santa Claus? Yeah, this is. It's also known as Deadly Games. It's the one that's like basically a precursor to Home Alone the The French movie, oh okay. yeah, definitely recommend that if you haven't seen that yet. It's it's a it's a hoot, and it's like clearly, clearly they ripped off of this movie for Home Alone. But uh, all right, what else do we have here? Ava from earlier this year. That's one with Jessica Chastain. Cemetery of Terror, from 1985. The Jewish Soul, the classics of Yiddish cinema. That's a Kino release. This is 10 movies spanning from 1935 to 1949. Uh, Iron Mask from earlier this year. This is the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jackie Chan. Oh, yeah. Very very strange looking (laughs) release. Uh, Cinema Paradiso from 1988. This is another Keen. uh, No, sorry. This is an Arrow release, an Arrow Academy release. Blood Games from 1990. Which uh, I believe I just saw Blood Games, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Just just saw that. That's the one about the softball players. I enjoyed that. I'd recommend that. Didn't know that was coming out on Blu-ray. All I Can Say, which is that rock doc about Blind Melon. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh.
0: And then we have... Getting to Know You and The Walrus and the Whistleblower coming out on Blu-ray as well. What about Criterions this week?
1: Oh, we got two. One of them is a, it's a big boy. That's the Essential Fellini box set. Got 14, 14 cinematic spectacles in there with, you know, all sorts of packaging and special features and all that good stuff. Just tons of stuff. And then the Irishman, Scorsese's The Irishman, getting released as well.
0: Got a good cover.
1: With, uh, yeah, and a bunch of uh, special.
0: It looks like the the Fellini ones are maybe being released individually as well, because I'm seeing them listed on Blu-ray.com separately as well. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so if you're if you just want to pick up like one or two of them, looks like they they are being released individually, at least.
1: Yeah, if you're you're a wuss and you can't commit to the
0: 14 <laughs> just go for the just, just dive in man just take the plunge
1: go for, where are you going you're not going anywhere yeah you shouldn't be just fucking get them delivered to your house watch them You have 14 movies you have got plenty of time
0: Fellini Marathon hell yeah alright uh, I think that's going to do it for this week thank you so much for listening you can send us your questions and topics To podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. If you have a minute, consider reviewing us on iTunes. That would be very helpful. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.